are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. We are rapidly approaching the end of a year-long sermon series. When was the last time you had a year-long sermon series? We've been going through the Bible for the whole year and we have a lot of work to do today. I, I apologize in advance, but here, I want to encourage my note taker. I know, I, I want my, any shouters in the room today? Any shouters? Praise the Lord. I see that hand. I see that hand. I appreciate you, okay? I'm, I, I, want, I want your shout this morning, but I'm, I'm going to need you to take some notes too, okay? That shout does not bookmark that thing for your life, okay? You got to take some notes today. We're going to be going through a lot of, of content today. And I, so I want you to take a notepad out, a note on your phone. I want to encourage you today with... The note takers are going to write anyway, okay? For my note takers, they don't say a whole lot, but when they write down, that's their shout. Amen? They, they, they go, that's their shout right there. You missed it if you, if you looked away. But I want to encourage you. I got some note takers in the back. I see that as well. And so we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy uh, in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you want to open your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from us in the back of the Next Steps desk as you leave. I want to give you a free Bible today. Uh, and if you just are rebellious at heart, you can just look at the screen. Amen. The scripture will be up there on the screen. I see some rebels. They're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not open to nothing. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to. That screen. I want to be a good steward of the screen. Okay, I'm going to use that. So uh, 2 Timothy is an important book for us. Uh, one of the reasons why it's an important book is because uh, it is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy. So Paul has been um, mentoring Timothy in the faith. Paul, the more aged, seasoned apostle, is teaching Timothy what it looks like to lead the church of Jesus Christ. And so he's been mentoring Timothy. And 2 Timothy is even increasingly important for us because it's the last letter the apostle Paul will ever write. After he writes this letter to Timothy, he's murdered for his faith. These are Paul's last words on earth. These are the last things that he has written down for us to see. And if you know, somebody's last words are meant to be listened to and honored. Amen? So this is Paul's uh, final words to Timothy in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is what the Word of God says. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. The church says, Amen. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, or or unable to be made happy, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, Swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weaker people, weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, listen, and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Giannis and Yambris opposed Moses, these were two sorcerers that worked for uh, Pharaoh when Moses went to set God's people free. These two men stood in opposition trying to keep God's people in captivity. 
So these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Amen. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Say will be. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Timothy was taught by his grandmother and his mother in the faith. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And listen to this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, would you add wisdom to us by the, by the reading of your word? And would you transform us? God, would this just not be a download of information, but an opportunity for transformation this morning? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Help us to rightly divide and rightly to apply your word today. Change us from the inside out to look more and more like Jesus. When we ask it all in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. When, when I was uh, first married to my beautiful wife, uh, we were broke, y'all, like broke, broke, like, uh, like really broke, okay? We got, <laughs> we got married, and uh, I moved my wife from Nashville to St. Louis, and so when she moved, she had to look for a new job. I came home one day uh, from work. I was working at Starbucks just to keep insurance for us and, uh, and for the coffee, praise God. And, uh, <laughs> and I came home one day, and, and we were watching TV. My wife goes, ooh, 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 this is my favorite commercial. I go, you have got to get a job. You cannot have favorite commercials out here. I'm sorry. Like, if you got a favorite commercial, you need a, a job really quick. Right, babe? Hey, okay. Amen. 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 Woo. Okay. Praise God. Um, <laughs> and so one of the things I would do to help us just make ends meet is I would go to garage sales and uh, estate sales, and I would flip things. Back then, it was on Craigslist. And so I would do the Craigslist hustle, right? Sometimes I would get stuff from people on Craigslist. They didn't know what it was and turn right back around and post it back on Craigslist for more money. Amen? That's, that's the Craigslist two-step, okay? And uh, I would go to these estate sales, and sometimes you get lucky and you get kind of early access to an estate sale. One day I went to this beautiful estate way out in, in the suburbs, and uh, it was this beautiful home. And uh, the, the guy that opened the house, he owned the house, was an older gentleman uh, named Dr. Fritz. Dr. Fritz uh, was a, um, a widower. He lost his wife years ago. All of his kids were grown. And so Fritz was downsizing his house. I remember his name because he gave me um, his old ski jacket. And his name is sewn into the label <laughs> of the ski jacket, Dr. Fritz. And uh, he gave that to me while we were hanging out. And he was showing me all around his house. And he was so proud 
uh, of all that he and his wife had built over the years. Uh, and he had redone his kitchen recently because you got to remodel the kitchen to sell the property oftentimes. So the kitchen was bright and shiny and new. All the new fancy electronics with like refrigerator with a Wi-Fi system. Some of y'all got it like that, praise God. And, uh, and uh, not me. And so uh, we walked around the house and I didn't want any new stuff. I wanted like the vintage goods, the old stuff, you know. So I said, hey, uh, Dr. Fritz, can we go to the garage? I want to see what's in the garage. And so we walked out there. When we get to the garage, he says, hey, are you thirsty? Do you want a bottle of water? I said, that would be great. And so he goes over to this beautiful uh, vintage Philco refrigerator. It looked like a 57 Chevy. It had chrome trim, right? You know what I'm talking about? It had sparkling, perfect enamel. It was humming like just the quietest little like comforting hum. And he opens the fridge up and this light shone from the inside like the glory of heaven. And inside was like bottles of water, all this extra food, his favorite adult beverages, come on. And uh, all this stuff was in his, this beautiful Philco fridge. And I was like, oh my gosh, Dr. Fritz, how much for the refrigerator? And he said, this thing? I was like, yeah, look at it. It's incredible. I would love to have that refrigerator. How much for the fridge? He goes, oh, I can't, I can't sell this. I'm like, but you got that amazing new refrigerator in the house. You just redid the kitchen. It's incredible. He's like, oh, no, no. I've redone that kitchen three times living in this house. And that's the third refrigerator that's been in there. This fridge I bought when we got married. And I can't throw it away, listen to this, because it still works. I'm taking this one with me to my next place because it still works works. I think what Paul is trying to tell Timothy and trying to tell us today is that people are going to get crazy on you. Life's going to get a little wild sometimes, but God's word still works. Y'all already know today. I want to preach to you today from this idea that God's word still works. But I want to backtrack because I don't want to assume anything about where we stand on God's word. So if we want to talk about God's word still working, we got to have a common conception about what God's word is. So what is God's word? You see, the word of God is what the followers of Jesus would call the Bible. Uh, to know this, all you'd have to do is to come into children's church anytime in the last 75 years. And you'd hear echoing down the halls, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Hey, hallelujah. I'm going to tell Pastor Brandon I got the next service. <laughs> it's the Bible. That's, that's what we stand on. The word Bible comes from the Latin and Greek word meaning book, which is an appropriate fitting name for a book that's for all people everywhere, for any time. But the Bible is a book unlike any other. Of all the books in all the world, the Bible is in its own class. But it's not just a book, is it? It's actually 66 books written by 40 different authors. The authors were kings, fishermen, priests, government officials, farmers, shepherds and doctors who wrote it over the course of 1,500 years. And they wrote this, these books across many different genres, including books of history, 
like Ezra or Acts, books of poetry, like Psalms and Ecclesiastes, letters like 2 Timothy or Ephesians, prophecy like Revelation or Isaiah, biographies like the Gospels of Mark and Luke. Oh, the Bible is vast, isn't it? But through all 66 books, throughout all 1,500 years, through all the genres it covers, despite having 40 different authors, there's an overwhelming harmony that carries throughout the entirety of God's Word. For all the diversity that has brought the Bible to us, there is a remarkable unity that keeps the Bible together. And that is that because though 40 men wrote this book, the Bible has one ultimate author. Come on in here, church. You see, Paul tells Timothy that Scripture is God-breathed. That's right. God is the author of the Bible. It's his very word. The, the human authors, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down exactly what God intended to communicate to us. The beauty of God delivering his word to us by the pen of men is one of the things that's been attacked throughout the generations. The authority of Scripture has been attacked over and over and over again, is this really God's word? And early in the European church, there arose a heresy concerning God's word. The argument went like this, that God is like the sun and we are like stained glass. Broken, fragmented, having different stains according to different people. And that no matter how pure the light of the sun was, no matter how perfect the intentions of the sun was for its light, it was always going to be shown through stained glass. And so the resulting image would always be stained by the glass through which the light was coming through. A convincing argument. This light can't be the same from whence it originated because the glass is stained. But a wise church father argued against this heresy. He said, that's a great argument, but consider this. Consider the sun that created the light also created the glass. Woo! Yeah. Consider the sun that created the light also created the glass. So that knowing the pure light coming from him would be tinted by his creation shown in such a way that the resulting image would be exactly what he intended from the beginning. Do you think God is confounded by our brokenness? No, he's aware of it. He changes it. He heals it. God's original word shown through, his, through broken people comes out exactly as he intends it. Mm. And this whole book, Old Testament, and New Testament find their harmony in one central character, Jesus the Christ. Emmanuel, Scripture calls him, God with us. The hero of the whole story who came to rescue broken, stained people and put us back into relationship with God the Father. This is God's Word. You see, the Word of God is meant to reveal God to us. The purpose of the Word of God is to reveal the person of God to the people of God, to the glory of God. Amen? 
So the question is, okay, if that's the word of God, can I trust it? Huh. Can I trust the word of God? Now, some of you want to shout amen already. You, you already know you can trust it. You, you, you know the song, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you, how I've proved him o'er and oh. You know you're really saved when you leave the V out of over. Uh-huh. I've proved him o'er and o'er. You know, you really love Jesus. You leave, I, don't, I don't even need the V, okay? <laughs> and if that's you today, listen, I, I, I'm encouraged by you. And maybe you don't need this part of the sermon. But what I've realized is that when we're struggling, when we're doubting, we need assurance. <laughs> that I can trust God's word beyond my own experience. Can I trust this word, this Bible, these 66 books, these 40 authors, these 1,500 years, all these genres? Can I depend upon it? Professor and author Mary Jo Sharp, uh, she wrote a book called Why Do You Believe That? And she identifies a few great reasons of why we can trust God's word. One of them is that God's word has been faithfully handed down. The word of God has been faithfully transmitted. What, what, what should a person look for when checking to see if an ancient text has been compromised? If an, if an ancient word has been corrupted, the person should look for other surviving copies of that text to cross-reference. You see, there's this thing we call, that's called textual variance, that across the different copies of text, there may be slight textual variations. But the Bible has the most surviving copies of any ancient document to put its text to the test for these variations or for corruption. The Bible has somewhere around 24,000 manuscripts from all over the ancient world, some as early as the second century even. So, if a variant is found in a manuscript in Egypt, it can be cross-checked from a manuscript in Syria. If a variant appears in a later manuscript, it can be compared to much earlier manuscripts to discover when the variant was introduced into the text. The value of knowing that our manuscripts of God's Word can be checked for reliable transmission or being handed down generation to generation is that it confirms the teaching that's found within our Bible is the same as it was when it was written. We can know with assurance that the authors who wrote 2,000 years ago wrote the same words that we have today. We need assurance. The second thing is that the writers of Scripture had no motive to lie. <laughs> So it's been handed down faithfully. Secondly, the authors had no motive to lie. A, a, a homicide detective in L.A., his name is Jim Wallace, describes how to establish a reliable witness. Parents, you need to know this when questioning your children. Okay? <laughs> there are four critical areas that are examined to establish a trustworthy eyewitness. One, was the witness present? Two, have they been accurate and honest in the past. Three, is there additional evidence to their claim? And four, do they have motive to lie? Three motives that cause detectives to doubt a person's trustworthiness are lust, power, or greed. There's no evidence that the authors of the New Testament had any of these motives. Rather, they had everything to lose and nothing to gain from their testimonies. Beyond that, 
they demonstrate the three other critical areas of, of establishing a reliable eyewitness testimony as well. They were present. They were accurate in their reportage of significant and even seemingly insignificant details. And there is corroborating evidence for their claims. The evidence that we have about these authors is not just that they were put to death for their beliefs, but they were put to death oftentimes in gruesome, painful ways for giving a testimony that Jesus had risen from the dead. Why would they do this? Uh, former uh, White House special counsel Chuck Colson, he says that the Watergate uh, situation during the Nixon era helped him believe the Bible was true. He watched as 10 of the most powerful men in the United States rapidly broke down their conspiracy under pressure from authorities within weeks of the Watergate investigation. He said, there is no doubt in my mind that the earliest followers of Jesus, average, regular people, would have stopped proclaiming Jesus' resurrection when faced with persecution if it were not true. But we have reliable witnesses. Our manuscripts have been handed down throughout the generations, superintended by God and kept for us today. Secondly, the witnesses that wrote the text are verifiable and trustworthy. And lastly, the books that we read in our Bible were already being used by the first century church long before it was ever put together in what we call the Bible. It was already being used. See, wild rumors run about, right, oftentimes on the National Geographic Channel and all these places that want to create these rumors about concerning how the Bible was collected into one text. And rather than speculate just from our 21st century perspective, it's better to go back and look at what early Christians were reading as authoritative to begin with. See, e even if we didn't have the surviving copies of biblical texts that we have today, Almost the entire New Testament can be reconstructed from quotes from early church fathers. A Greek scholar, Dan Wallace, says that we have more than a million quotations of the biblical text from other collective works from first century church fathers. Further, in 115 AD, Ignatius, who was the bishop of Antioch, I know y'all know about Ignatius, uh, <laughs> He already assumed the four Gospels as authentic. So did Tashian, church fathers. So did Irenaeus. These early church fathers all knew that the four Gospels were authoritative. And the canon of Scripture, uh, author F.F. F. Bruce, he writes to say, when the Scriptures were canonized in the 300s, all the canonization, that basically the bringing together of God's Word, all it did was verify the books that the church was already using as authoritative. They weren't selecting books. They were just authorizing the books that the church was already using. Guys, we're not using a different book than the church has always used. The manuscripts that we have have been passed down to the generations. The testimonies we read are verifiable eyewitnesses. And the book you're reading is the same book that the first church saw as authoritative. Guys, God's word can be depended on. We have the evidence. So if this is true, if the Bible is God's word, if it's verifiable and passed down through the generations, then why should I read it? Why should I read God's word? Paul tells Timothy two reasons you need to read God's word. Number one, people are crazy. 
<laughs> you need to read the Bible because people will fail you. He says this in verse 1 of chapter 3. Understand, in the last days there will come some difficulty. It will be difficult. Why? Verse 2. For people. <laughs> it's going to be difficult because of people. People will be lovers of self, money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. He keeps going, y'all. He says, if this is what people are like, you need something other than people to depend on. Amen? People are going to fail you. So he says, read the Bible. And when people around you are failing, when people around you are acting wild, he says, reading the Bible does a few things. Reading the Bible, one, it teaches us God's character. If you can't depend on the character of the people around you, read your Bible and figure out who God is. It teaches us God's character. Hebrews 1. I'm going to list out a whole. So I told you all to take notes today, okay? I'm going to line out some things. It's going to be a lot of scripture references. So just write them down and keep moving with me. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word, say word, word. of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God's word teaches us God's character. When people fail you, figure out who God is because he can be counted on. Secondly, Reading the Bible teaches us to be like him. Ephesians 5 and 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. People around you, if there are people you don't want to imitate, read God's word. Figure out how to imitate God. Third, reading the Bible gives us confidence in what God has said. Do you lack confidence in who God is and what he said? Did he really say that? Has he said this? Reading the Bible gives us confidence in what God has said. John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Reading God's word sets you apart for what's true. It gives us confidence in what God has said. Fourthly, reading the Bible helps renew our minds. Romans 12 and verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Are the people around you failing you so much that it's, just, it's tainting your mind? Are people around you telling you things that are confusing and distracting and discouraging? Renew your mind. By getting into God's word. How do we renew our mind? By getting in God's word. Testing. It says test the things that you see, the things that you hear. Test them against God's word. Ask his Holy Spirit to speak to you and renew your mind. When people are crazy, read God's word. Second thing he says is that you need to read the Bible because life gets crazy. <laughs> people are crazy and life gets crazy. Verse 1 says, understand this. In the last day, there's going to come some difficult times. Verse 12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John 16 and 33 says it like this. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're finna have trouble. 
But take heart, I've overcome the world. Life is going to get crazy. And when life gets crazy, you need an anchor to hold you in the midst of the storm. Paul's saying when life gets crazy, Timothy, get in God's word. It's God breathed. He's given it to you. It's profitable. He says this. He says when reading the Bible can get you to your next step. When life is crazy and you feel like we talked about last week, there's a fog around you. God's word can get you to your next step. Psalm 119 and 105 says, y'all know this text, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. When life is crazy all around you, get in God's word and let him illuminate what your next step is. Secondly, when life is crazy, reading the Bible can keep you from falling. When you feel like you're walking in dark times, when you feel like you're walking in confusion, Reading the Bible can keep you from falling, Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When life is crazy, God's word can keep you from falling. Amen? Next, reading the Bible when life is crazy can make us courageous. <laughs> when, when a crazy life is causing us to be fearful, God's word can make us courageous. Joshua 1, 8 through 9. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Is life crazy? You need courage. And you get courage from the word of God. And reading the Bible helps us to be fruitful. When life is crazy and you feel dried up, God's word can make you fruitful. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of scoffers, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That just means blessed is the person who doesn't just go with any old fool around them. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. When life is crazy, the word of God can bring fruit about in your life. Quit running from the Word of God and run to it when life is crazy. And lastly, when life is crazy, reading the Bible is how we learn about the gospel. <laughs> when life is wild, when we can't depend on people, when situations are falling apart, reading the Bible is how we find out about the good news of who Jesus is. John 5, 39 and 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me, Jesus says. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The good news is that salvation isn't found in the Bible, it's found in Jesus. The Bible, it just gets us to Jesus. The whole Old Testament is preparing us for the arrival of Jesus. The whole New Testament is telling us about the life and ministry of Jesus. The prophecy of Revelation is telling us to prepare for the return of Jesus. The whole of Scripture is all about Jesus. We're not saved by the Scriptures. We're saved by the God of the Scriptures, Jesus the Christ. 
When life is crazy, when people are wild, y'all, be anchored in the word of God. But some of y'all have been reading it, and you just don't get connected to it. So the question, okay, the Bible is the word of God, pastor. Uh, okay, I, I believe that I can depend upon it. I believe that it's authoritative. Uh, I, I understand that when things are wild, I should be reading it. But I, I, when I read it, I don't connect to it. I feel disconnected from the scripture. So how can I connect to the word of God? Verse 16 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and, and good for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that you can be complete and equipped for every good work. You see, oftentimes when we come to the scriptures, we come to God's word and we sit over it and we read it. And when we do that, we read our thoughts, our opinions, our perspectives, our desires, our intentions. When we read scripture, it submits to us. God intends us to come to the, his word and sit under it, allowing it to read us. I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. See, some of us come to Scripture, and we sit over it thinking we can read up when we need, we need to sit under Scripture, allowing it to read us. This is the way that we connect to God's Word. You may feel disconnected because you're trying to get God to do what you want to do. We connect to God's Word when we submit to what it says. James says, don't just be hearers of the Word, be doers of the Word. Not get the Word to do what you want. Let you do what the Word wants. It's a submissive posture. And so I want to walk you through a real quick Bible study. I'm trying to help you all today. I want to preach to you, but I want to teach you too. Because this Word of God, we got to hold on to it, y'all. It's, it's the revelation of who God is to us. So I, I, want to, I want you all to write this down. I call this study to submit. Study to submit. It's five basic questions from 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, that you can use for any scripture, anytime, anywhere with anybody. And you can have a Bible study right there on the spot. With these five questions, any text, I've done it with young men my whole life. And then within a week or two, I got folks who just came to Jesus leading Bible studies with these five questions. It's called Study to Submit. 2 Timothy, Paul tells us that all of God's word, all, all of Scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching. The first word is teaching. The question that goes along with teaching is, what does this tell me to believe? You can use this question for any Scripture, anytime, anywhere. God, what are you telling me to believe? What are you teaching me through the Scripture? What are you telling me to believe? What does this text tell me to believe? Number two, the word is reproof. The question for the word reproof is, what is this telling me not to believe? <laughs> because we bring the wrong beliefs to Scripture more than, more than not. And so not only do we need to be told what to believe, but we need God's word to teach us what not to believe. Teaching and reproof. The third word is training in righteousness. That question is, what does this tell me, or how does this tell me to live? Teaching, what does this tell me to believe? Reproof, what does this teach me not to believe? Training in righteousness, how does this tell me to live? And correction is, how does this tell me not to live? 
those four questions, any scripture, and then I added a fifth. Because I feel like to submit means you got to do something. So the fifth question is, what can I do about it today? Those four questions. Listen, I'm trying to help you all today. If you can't connect with Scripture, these questions will get you there. By the power of God, through his Holy Spirit, illuminating God's word to you, these questions will help you engage and begin to become doers, not just hearers of the word. If you're wanting to get started now or get yourself ready for a plan in the new year, if you're wondering, why should I even read my Bible or I feel like I'm not getting anywhere when I do read my Bible, Use this message today as a resource to you. We got so many new Christians in this room today that need to understand how to connect to Scripture. We have so many seasoned Christians who feel dry right now that need to understand how do I study the Scriptures to see that God's Word still works. And I want to leave, I want to close and be in my seat with one just illustration from my personal life about God's Word still working. Uh, last week we, I preached um, on the power of faith in your life. And one of the verses we used for that uh, was if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, move, and it'll move from here to there. Y'all remember that text? Well, yesterday I was <coughs> walking outside with my kids. I don't know about y'all, but even when it's cold, I need to get outside sometimes. Inside air gets a little stale. I need to get out. And so I took my, older, my youngest two kids, and we went for a walk around the yard. Uh, just to get out and to just be in nature for a little bit. And kids just kind of go, well, I got some pictures. The, the first picture is my daughter, Alex. Uh, can you throw that? There she is. She was uh, collecting hedge apples out, in, out in, in, the, in the side yard. You know those big, you can't eat them. Uh, but if, if they fall on your head from the tree, it's going to hurt you real bad, okay? So my daughter is experiencing nature. She's collecting hedge apples. My son's in that. My son, Theo, he picked up a stick and he's fighting a tree uh, because, you know, you got to keep some shooters with you. I'm not out here by myself, okay? <laughs> Jesus, yeah, Jesus had Peter. Jesus had Peter. Uh-huh. Theo, before this, he was doing push-ups. I said, Work, come on, son, I need you. Get my six, okay? And so he was fighting a tree behind him. You can take that one down. Uh, and we just were walking through, uh, through the backyard. And guys, the, the word, God's word still works, y'all. The scripture tells us that God's word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting through bone and marrow, piercing the hearts of people. That means it can get through your thick skull. That's what it means. The word of God is powerful to get through to you. And I'm telling you, I, we preached about faith in that mustard seed last week, and God just got through to me yesterday about it. I'm walking through the backyard, and i our backyard kind of goes down to this ravine, and it's all a bunch of rocks. And I look over, and I see this tree growing up through the middle of the rocks. And it's an old tree, probably 20, 30 years old. Go ahead and throw that picture up real quick. You see that tree right in the middle of those rocks? Those rocks used to be together. But at some point, a seed got in there and started to grow. <laughs> and that tree, by sheer will to live, grew up over the years and pushed those stones out of the way. So much, can you see it? It's enveloping the mountain. It's growing around the rock. Go ahead and take that down. Keep that in your mind. I think sometimes when we think 
of a seed of faith in our lives that we think God is just going to miraculously just move things out of our path. God spoke to me in that picture. He said, sometimes you got to grow through the difficulty. Sometimes the seed of faith is going to keep you going despite some obstacles. But if you continue on in faith, that mountain gets moved by your sheer will to live and lean on me. And eventually, eventually that tree is going to swallow up those things that at one time tried to keep it from living at all. Woo! This will preach. This is an example that the Word of God still works. It's alive and active. God's doing something. And I'm telling you, the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be illuminated to your mind. The Word of God, the Bible, is God revealing himself to us. But there's another Word of God, isn't there? John chapter 1, verse 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, the Old Testament scholars would know that this idea of the Word of God simply means a revelation of himself to us. We have God's written Word here, but Jesus is the incarnated Word of God in the flesh. And so we can read God's Word, but we can also have a relationship with God's Word. And the reading of God's Word means nothing apart from the relationship with the person of Jesus. See, John chapter 1, verse 14, 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Y'all see these Christmas trees and these lights? I'm trying to match them with my outfit up here. I'm trying to be like the decor over here. The reason we have all this decor up is because we celebrate the incarnated Word of God, the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm afraid some of y'all in the room and online are trying to read this Word of God without knowing the incarnate Word of God. My prayer for you today is that you would initiate a relationship with Jesus, the incarnated Word of God, so you could read this and receive knowledge from the written Word of God. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for us today. If you're in the room today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond with a yes to Jesus, to give your faith and your belief to the Word of God being Jesus Christ, who, though he had no sin in him, died a sinner's death in your place, that he was crucified and killed. He was buried but rose again so that your sin could be paid for and you could be given new life and life more abundantly. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? If you're in the room today and you've never trusted in Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me? God, I know I'm broken. I'm like stained glass. But you created me to know you, to trust you, to walk with you. God, I know I'm sinful, but I know that Jesus can save me. I put my faith in Jesus. I believe that he's your son. I believe that he rose from the grave. God, I believe that he can walk with me every day of my life. Save me today, God, through the person of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, would you slip a hand up? Just put your hand up. I'm not going to call you forward. 
I just want to give you a Bible. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God's doing. If you responded today, there's a connection card in that Bible. Just fill that out. We're going to have some people up here to pray with you after service. I want you to come forward to pray with somebody. Give them that card. If you want to sneak out, if you got to sneak out, there's a next steps desk as you leave. Hand that card to the next steps desk as you leave today. If you're in the house today, can we applaud those people who made a first-time decision today? Family, family, if you're here today, I encourage you, when life is crazy, when people are wild, lean on the Word of God, for in it you will find life and life more abundantly. You'll find the revelation of Jesus Christ to you. You'll find the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. Lean into the Word of God.